Okay. Please raise your hand if you remember a band called the Doobie Brothers. Uh huh. Raise your hand if you don't know what I'm talking about, the Doobie Brothers. Okay, let me give you an instruction. The Doobie Brothers were making music when music was still music. When there was no pitch correct or anything like that, you weren't using samples, no offense, but yeah, offense. You weren't using samples. Your music was your own music, but occasionally they covered some songs. And in 1975, January 1975, when I, having heard about Jesus all my life, finally decided enough of this. I'm going to align my life with what I believed because I haven't been doing that up till now. And I made a conscious decision to pray a prayer and receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. That was sort of the official formal language I used. But what I was really doing was saying, Jesus, I believe in you. I hope in you. And I'm going to look to your life now to figure out how I should live. And I'm going to give whatever I have to you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. From this day on, I'm a Christian. I mean, I've tried to verbalize it because I wasn't sure, you know, if I really could get in. So I want to make sure I made the, said the right words and did everything officially. And then right after that, uh, I was listening to the radio and I realized, I was driving down the road one day. I had a dump truck business. I had my dump truck and my cassette tape in my dump truck with the a match, the, the book of matches underneath it to just kind of get it just right. Remember that? So that it would be the right speed and everything. And I'm driving down and I'm singing along with the music that I love to listen to. And I'm singing the words. I'm so happy to be a Christian because everything's changed. And I'm singing along and the words come out of my mouth. My name is Lucifer. Please take my hand. <laughs> and I looked, I pulled that tape out, black. Sabbath, oh, I probably can't listen to this anymore, so I'm ashamed to say, Highway 101, I opened my window, flung it out the window. I was learning, I was in the process of personal transformation, but there was a whole lot of transformation that needed to take place. But I love music so much, and I don't know what to do. And, and then I listened to a, a station one day and I hear the Doobie Brothers come up, and you know what song was playing, right? Their song, Jesus is Just All Right With Me, and I'm thinking, ha, this is too cool. I'm a Christian now, and so are the Doobie Brothers. Jesus is just all right with me, and I love singing along with them. You know, the Doobie Brothers had that song in 1972 is when that song actually came out for them. They released it on their album, Toulouse Street, uh, and we have a picture of that uh, that album cover here, that's the one it came out on. But they were not the first to do that song. It was actually a gospel song written by Arthur Reed Williams, or Reynolds, excuse me, first recorded by the Art Reynolds singer. So it was a gospel group that did that song. That's why it sounded so wonderful and so Christian. But for some reason, that was in 1966 that it first got released. But for some reason, several people have released covers of that song. You might be surprised that the Doobie Brothers covered it, but so did uh, Robert Randolph. Uh, you know, yeah, who's heard of Robert Randolph? Yeah, that's a good group, and the family band. But when he recorded it, Eric Clapton played guitar with him on it. That's kind of a cool thing to know. Did you know the Ventures? Remember the Ventures? I mean, you go way back to when I was in diapers for the Ventures. They recorded 
a cover of Jesus is just all right. DC Talk did a cover of Jesus is just all right. In 93, they were even on the Jay Leno show singing, Jesus is just all right. Okay, here's a shocker. Any heavy metal fans out there? Striper covered, Striper covered Jesus is just all right with me. Wouldn't you love to hear that one? No, no, you wouldn't. I wouldn't either. But here's, here's the one that really kind of inspired the doobies to, uh, to cover it. The birds covered Jesus is just all right with me, even before the doobies. And if God hears my prayers and loves me and loves humanity, Bob Dylan will come out with his cover of Jesus is just all right with me any time now. Isn't it, wouldn't you love to hear that? Jesus! Beautiful voice. By the way, I just bought tickets for June 19th, Hollywood Bowl. Brenda and I are going on a sweet date. Mm-hmm. Andrea Bocelli. Oh. And I'm praying that Bob Dylan will open for him. Bob Dylan. <laughs> How's that on the ticket? Bob Dylan and Andrea Bocelli. They have to have a break so the audience can change. You know? <laughs> Jesus. And that song was written at a time when to be all right meant to be cool. Are you all right? You're cool. It was very good. That's what all right meant when that song was written in the mid-60s. So that song could be, Jesus, you're cool with me. You're cool to me. It's an appropriate counterpoint, really, to a discussion about personal transformation, though, because that's what this morning's message is about. We talked about how you have the power to change things and to transform your world, and we talked about the idea of the responsibility of the followers of Christ to be involved in transforming systems that are oppressive and evil, because that's the heart of God, that's the agenda of God. The prayer that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is really our vision statement to figure out what's in heaven and somehow act in every way we can to bring those values and that agenda to earth. Now that's not all this walk with Christ is about, but it's certainly a major, if not the major part in our lifetimes. And that's about transformation. But I'm arguing that the idea of Jesus is cool with me is radically different than Jesus is transforming me. There's a big difference between those two. Between Jesus being cool with me and being personally transformed by Jesus. A big difference, a huge difference. And I'm aware today that the world is really not lacking folks who are all right with Jesus. There are some who are not all right with Jesus fully understand him, or at least reasonably so, but, and they're still not cool with him because of some of the things he teaches. But, but it, you don't have to work real hard to find people who are cool with Jesus, and he's cool with me. Yeah, forgiveness and love and acceptance and gentleness and mercy. I'm cool with that. But there's a noticeable lack of people in our experience who are actually allowing Jesus to completely turn their personal worlds upside down, to completely transform them, to completely 
renovate them, to do a kitchen remodel of the greatest, biggest kind in their own hearts. Deconstruction, reconstruction. That's transformation. The Apostle Paul addresses this in Romans chapter 12, and that's where we're going to focus today, but not just in Romans 12. I want to dance a little bit with some parallel texts that I've been reflecting on that I find interesting as I contemplate my journey toward Christ, my journey, my experience of transformation, my tiptoeing and baby steps toward change and the two steps forward and the one step back of the remodeling that takes place in our heart because Jesus is cool with me. But having Jesus be cool with me, if that's all it is, that's not cool with me. It shouldn't be cool with us. Christ and following him is about personal transformation, changing us from the inside out. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12. I therefore urge you, brothers, and we'll look a little bit at what was written before, because the therefore is based on something that went before. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy which was explained in the previous chapter, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So just an aside. So the way we offer our bodies, the way we live, the things we choose to do and not choose, our our behavior, the way we treat people, all of that is a form of worship. Do not conform, and here's the 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 essential part of this text. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. And when he says world, he's talking about a system. To the patterns of this world, but, and in that but is a, in strong contrast. I mean, like radically, the, the radical opposite. Instead of that, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And actually, that could be translated like this, and probably, uh, well, it could be. It certainly certainly within the uh, force of the, of the original text. Do not be in the process of being conformed or stop being in the process of being conformed to this system. But be being transformed. Enter into the process and be in the process of being transformed by the ongoing renewing of your minds. That's kind of the force of what Paul is saying. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing and perfect will. You know, the will when he says, hey, you're going to leave your town north of Seattle and you're going to quit your job as a principal and you're going to take your four little children and you are moving to (laughs) what? You know that's God's will for you when you hear it while you're in the process of being transformed. That's, That's what clears your ears. Being in the process of being transformed. I love John's version, what I think, I think is John's version of the same thing. This is sort of like if you read, if you read 1 John chapter 2 and the, and the texts around that, you're going to sort of see John's version. It's like John's Sermon on the Mount, really. John says this in John chapter 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world. You'll hear the parallels. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. In other words, you can't have this 
extraordinary love for the world where the world is transforming you and its versions, that system that we're in is transforming you. You can't love that and then have the Lord's love transforming you at the same time. They compete with each other. One trumps the other. They can't share the same pillow. For everything in the world, and then he names some of them, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires are passing away. But whoever does the will, which you know how, the perfect will of God, lives forever. So you've got this, look, you're going to love one or you're going to love the other. You're going to be being transformed and aligned with one, whether you realize it or not, or the other. In that sense, we're not really free agents, except for the choice that we make about our alignments. Personal transformation. The world's full of people who are cool with Jesus. The world is not full of people who, even Christians, who are willing to be in the very delicate, serious, painful, fun, wonderful process of being transformed by Christ. Both Paul and John, then to paraphrase, would say this, stop cooperating with the process of being conformed to the world and start cooperating with the process of being transformed, personally transformed. Stop loving what hates you and hating what loves you. Stop loving what hates you and hating what loves you. Do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Now, see, I have 14 minutes and two, one, zero seconds left to finish this. Let me just talk about a couple of points here. First, so what does this text tell us about, we're talking about personal transformation, remember? What does this text tell us about the essence of transformation? This was a really fun study for me this week. Because the essence of transformation, according to the broader context of this scripture, is humility. There's the foundation, there's the essence of transformation. Transformation, humility, arriving at the point in life where the smile and the nod of God is all that's needed to be completely satisfied with life. Humility, arriving at the point in life where the smile and the nod of God is all that's needed to be completely satisfied with life, where his thumbs up compels you to have a clear thumbs down to every other option in life. I am who you say I am. And that's all right with me. That's more than all right with me. That dominates me. I am who you say I am. And I'm happy to be who you say I am. And I'm happy to be where you want me to be. And I'm happy to love the people you want me to love. And I'm happy to confess what you want me to confess. And I'm happy to address what you want me to address. And I'm happy to put down what you want me to put down. And I'm happy to lift up what you want me to lift up. I am who you say I am. A yielded, bended knee. To know that greatness is found there. 
The essence of transformation is humility. It's as though God has this goal in life, and I am going to transform every human being who will allow me to transform him or her. And what that means is this. I'm taking you. The road toward Christ is the road toward humility, the road toward yieldedness, the road toward a thousand personal funerals and things that we present to him on the author to allow him his knife at it, to allow him to cut it out, the holy scalpel that takes out of us what should not be there and puts into us what should be there. You, know, you go ahead and do your deal, God. <laughs> You're so much more than cool with me. Mm. The essence of transformation is humility. I mean, you think about it, Romans 12, 1 and 2, if you were to go back and look at this, maybe I'll write about this in the devotion this week, because we always do a devotion that is tied to the, whoever preaches does a devotion, put it up on the webpage that's related to the sermon. I'll deal with this maybe a little more uh, when I write that uh, Monday or Tuesday. But you know, Romans 12, 1 and 2, it's set in a context of humility. So chapter 11, I said we'd go back to that, the therefore Chapter 11, Paul's spending some time talking to Roman believers, but was he talking to them about in, in chapter 11 of this? He's saying, look, 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 don't get all haughty now. Don't forget, don't be looking down your nose at your Jewish brothers and sisters. Your faith is built on their shoulders. You're not, you're not the trunk of this tree. Gentile Christians, you're grafted into something that went before you. There's a foundation upon which your house was built. So let's not have the roof saying to the foundation, we're so much better than you because we're above you. The foundation wasn't there, there'd be no roof. Be humble, recognize that your faith came out of something. There was a seed that was planted and you bloomed from that. Humbly appreciate the fact that our faith comes on the shoulders of our Jewish brothers and sisters. Now we might have some disagreements with our Jewish brothers and sisters who are not messianic. But my goodness, deepest respect should always go to the roots and foundation of our faith. The branch is grafted in to the trunk. And that's before, and then from that therefore, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And then what comes right after Romans 12, 1 and 2? More discussion on humility. The immediate uh, section following Paul's admonition to be transformed uh, is about things like the practice of humble partnership with each other in service to the church and putting others above yourself. That's a direct command from what follows Romans in, in the rest of Romans 12. And building real friendships with people of, that would be perceived as having lower social standing than you. Actually, there's nobody that's lower than you. We're all brilliant and wonderfully crafted and made in Christ. But there's a perception. It's kind of like that text where James says, James says, look, man, when the dude with all the fancy rings driving the Mercedes shows up, do you take him to the front of the room and somebody who had to walk or take the bus to get to church with no rings at all, you say, excuse me, you go to the back while he sits here? That's wrong. We don't do that here, the apostle says. The humility that comes after Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, look, be a body. Relate to each other with equal value. We don't have a class system here. 
There's a big difference between being cool with Jesus and being transformed by him. The just all right Jesus is a fun friend who might also happen to be a great philosopher. The real Jesus is a radical reconstructionist, a loving surgeon who wants to restructure your heart, reorder our priorities, and replace our insecure boasting with the freedom that's always found in deep brokenness. Let me tell you something. Humility and brokenness, that's where freedom is. That's where you got nothing to protect, nothing to lie about, nothing to put forward, nothing to shine up. Man, you don't want to put the wrong picture on Facebook because that gives people the wrong image of the you you're pretending to be. Freedom is in humility. Freedom is getting to the point where you say, I'm God, whatever you want, I'm so free in you because I have nothing to protect or prove to anybody anymore. The essence of personal transformation is humility. Humility is where God's taking us when he's transforming us. Can we agree on that? At least that's what Paul is saying. No, I'm not there. You're not there. I mean, if we get even close to being there, we do it just in time to die where Eventually, we know fully as we're also fully known. I'll never understand that gig, but that's how it works. The essence of transformation, humility. But what's the measure of transformation? So here's where it gets real practical for us. The measure of transformation, the measure of that humility is self-awareness. An increasingly honest and deepening awareness of who you are who you aren't, and who God longs for you to be. Who you are, who you aren't, and who God longs for you to be. I, I, I will always remember when our kids were in high school and I was a pastor in Colorado, uh, I will always remember uh, battling with our son Josh about going to youth group. Because he, he has still the most tender heart of any, anyone in our family, with the possible exception of his mom. He is one tender dude. He can't walk past a homeless person. He'll walk all the way back. He tells a story of walking across a bridge at San Diego State on his way to his first day of class, the way to school. Some guy's on the bridge, one of the bridges there, uh, with a sign, you know, and you've seen him. And, and Josh can't walk past him. He's, what's, what's up? What's up, brother? And the guy says, oh, I just need X amount of dollars uh, to get my license for my taxi, so I drive my taxi cab and I'm out of money. And Josh isn't the kind of guy that says, now let me see, are you telling me the truth or are you really going to go use? He, his heart doesn't go there. It's so tender. He says to this guy, I, I've got that much in my room, my dorm room. Can you wait right here? Don't go anywhere. Like he was going to go anywhere. Walks all the way back to his dorm room, digs through everything, gets that amount of money, comes and gives it. That's my son Josh. But when he was in high school, he didn't. He didn't want to go to youth group. And I remember telling him, asking him, Why, what's the deal? And he said, Dad, when I go there, people spend all their time trying to present themselves as though they don't need to be there. Why would I need to spend any of my time with a bunch of people who don't think they need to be there? I want to be in a youth group or a church, he was implying, where somebody can stand up and say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm struggling with this or this or this, and half the room comes around and says, okay, then how are we going to make it through this together? Instead of being in a church or a youth group, in his case, that says, you got your problem, we don't have any, now you're an outcast, you, know, you, you don't measure up, you don't perform. 
The measure of transformation is self-awareness. An incredibly honest assessment and a deepening awareness of who we are, who we aren't, who God longs for us to be. And an ability to say, here's my deficit, here's my strength, my wealth. How, how do we address both as a family? Because I know who I am, and I know who I'm not, and I have some idea of who God wants me to be. I mean, chapter 12, verse 3, so right on the tails of this text, goes right to an admonition to not think more highly of oneself than would one should. That's what the next verse says. Don't think more highly of yourself than you should. Be sober-minded or clear and honest about who you really are. And oh, don't you long for a church. And I think this church is becoming the church for, whom, for which we all long. Where you can come and say, I'm solidly committed to Jesus, but I have this deficit. I'm failing here. I'm far less than God longs for me to be in this part of my life, and far less than I long to be. And you have the community rally around you and say, okay, well, let's walk together and knock that out together. I remember, my, I remember when I was there, or I'm there too. I know who I am. I know who I'm not. And I know who God longs for me to be. And one of our core values actually here is no pretending allowed, no pretending necessary. That's, that's the measure of humility. And then if you read the rest of chapter 12, start at verse 3 and go all the way down to 21. It's a picture of the transformed life. So Paul goes into some of the particulars and some of the very detailed challenges a detailed measure of personal transformation, a detailed expression and, and participation in a growing self-awareness. It works kind of like this. As I was thinking about this, and I want to finish with this, I was thinking about, well, that's interesting. It's almost like Paul takes us by the hand in this text and says, come and journey with me back to the garden and back to the tree. And the story of how humanity fell in Genesis chapter three. Listen to this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. And he says to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, well, we can eat fruit. We can eat from the trees of the garden. But he did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, just this one tree. You must not touch it or you're going to die. Oh, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the women. God, you know what's going on here? God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes are going to be open. And you will be just like him. And you'll know everything. When this woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and it was beautiful fruit, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining Wisdom for gaining, in other words, what only God really should have and all that's involved in that. She took some of it and ate it and also gave some to her husband and he ate it with her and they were both guilty of the eating. And here's, here's what I feel like Paul's doing. He's saying, Art, come with me. Come with me back and stand in front of that tree. See, everything he tempts you to do, he tempted them to do, he tempts you to do. 
to want for yourself what really only God should have, self-power and recognition and a form of worship, uh, something that's a little bit like a celebrity. That's why you feel so awful when somebody else gets praise and you don't get it. That's why when you lose in a competition, you don't feel so good. When you win in a competition, you feel better than you really should because you're flawed. And we're just back at that tree again, getting the same old temptations. Transformation says this, I'm going to do just the opposite of what the snake tells me to do. I'm going to be happy not having complete wisdom, not being celebrated in every moment. I'm going to be happy dying to myself. I'm going to be happy being dependent. I'm going to be happy being fully human and recognizing that there's a loving God who is over me. Being conformed is to align with the pride that loaded the serpent's gun at the tree in the garden. Being transformed is to do just the opposite of what he tempts humanity to do. And being aligned instead with the honest self-assessment that empties the gun. The measure of transformation is sober awareness, self-awareness, an increasingly honest and depending awareness of who you are, who you aren't, and who God longs for you to be. See, the conformed way is the way of pride. The transformed way is the way of meekness. The conformed way is the way of acquisition and use of power and influence for personal gain. The transformed way is use of power and influence to oppose evil and oppression. The conformed way is the way of greed and hoarding. The transformed way is the way of open-handedness. The conformed way is fear-based. The transformed way is faith-based. The conformed way says, I am my own God, and to yield is weakness. The transformed way says, you are my God, and to yield is freedom. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. The essence of transformation is humility. The measure of transformation is self-awareness. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said, when Christ calls a person to the journey of transformation, he calls that person to come and die. And there are all sorts of opportunities and situations that love to whisper as they slither down the trunk of the tree. This is what's going to make you alive. Choose this. But I pray that instead of yielding and being conformed to that, you'll listen to the truth of the Spirit of God that says, no, 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 no. That's a short-term titillating life that's actually death. Choose this instead. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world system, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will know and be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. I want to invite you to 
begin a journey of transformation or to go deeper in the journey of transformation. That journey begins with a decision. I referenced it earlier. It begins with a decision that will take something like the form of a prayer that many of us have prayed. God, I'm done wrestling against you. I certainly don't think you're easy to understand. But I want to give myself to you and go on a journey with you. So Jesus, will you send your Holy Spirit to live in me? You offered to forgive my sins. I accept the offer. I receive the offer. And today I want to become a Christian, a follower of Jesus. And Lord, you've got to know that if you accept me, you're going to accept a flawed individual. I guarantee you I will break your heart. But I also believe you'll never break mine. So let's walk together. Today, right now, this moment, I become a Christian. I receive Jesus as my leader and my savior. But there's another prayer that is like the forever ongoing prayer after that prayer. Because that prayer enters us into the family of God. But there are these other prayers like, what in the world do you think you're doing? Can't you see? Aren't we on the same team? How am I going to deal with this kind of pain? I'll never be able to recover from this. I've got anxieties on the left, fear on the right, trauma all around. There are those kinds of prayers. There are also these prayers in the journey of transformation. I can't believe how good you are. Look at what you did for me. How do I find words to express how wonderful it is to walk with you? And everything in between. Sometimes those are the prayers we need to pray as Christians. Now strengthen me, Lord, to stay on the trail, to stay on the path. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth and in me as it is in heaven. I invite you during any time during this time of communion we're going to enter into now to pray whichever of those prayers is appropriate for you. Become a Christian today. Pray that prayer. Lord, I receive you. And then come and receive the bread and the juice. Or maybe you need to pray a prayer of reaffirmation of your faith and realignment with what you know to be right and true. Say, Lord, mm, stepped off the trail, placed me back on. I'm going to stay walking toward you no matter what has to die in me in order for me to experience life. That personal transformation begins with a prayer, and it's illustrated time and time again in a meal where Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed, his apostles around him, this is my body, which is for you. From now on, whenever you partake of this loaf, remember me. And this is my blood, blood of a new covenant. You see, this blood forgives. This blood restarts. This blood revives. From when, whenever you drink of this cup from now on, remember me.